This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies, I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your evil possessed host, Harvey. <laughs> Alright, so it's finally here. This movie that I'm going to be honest with you, I've probably been waiting for for almost 20 years. I have been a fan of The Exorcist since I saw it like when I was like probably 12 or 13 years old, right? It's just become like one of my favorite all-time horror movies. I I think initially I was pretty thought it was like the scariest movie I'd seen, but you know, in the years since it's just another movie that I watched during the season. So but I still love it and I still think it's maybe the best horror movie of all time. Uh we talked about it on this podcast. We talked about the third one on this podcast. We talked about that bizarro shit sack second one on the podcast. I'll say this, because we're probably gonna say a lot of negative things about this movie. Exorcist Believer, the 2023 David Gordon Green uh, legacy sequel. Um, at least there's one thing I can say, and that's it's no Exorcist to the Heretic. Hi, your favorite franchises, everybody. David Gordon Green is on the lookout for more things to ruin. <laughs> nah. Ruin is a very strong word. I will be the first to say that. I'm okay. So this series, um, the last, I guess I can catch us up on what happened since Exorcist three, since that's the last one that we reviewed in the series. After Exorcist three comes out, um, nothing really happens in terms of more with the with the franchise, right? Um, in '99, they end up re-releasing The Exorcist for the first time with that uh, version you've never seen, where they added scenes and changed the ending. And the movie ends up going back to theaters. Going back into theaters actually, like, makes it kind of popular again. And I think the fact that it was going in in 99 after Scream had come out and Horror and Blair Witch was out and Horror was kind of making its comeback at the end of the, at the, end of the 90s. Uh, I think this Morgan Creek, the studio that was in charge of the movie, I think they decided that there was probably something another story that they could tell and and something they could get people interested in and that's where we get and i don't want to talk about these movies on the podcast so i'll go ahead and just talk about them now very briefly we get the absolute clusterfuck disaster that is both exorcist and dominion prequel to the exorcist and that's that they wanted those are the movies we need to talk about (laughs) we need to talk about the hot garbo movies (laughs) If you want to do those movies on this podcast, we can do them. That's fine. Uh, Look, if you've already made me commit to this many Exorcist movies in one lifetime, we might as well do them all. <laughs> all right, we can do it next next Halloween then. Um, it, it's yeah. It, it, this is it's funny enough. This might be the the horror franchise that we actually like watch every single <laughs> installment in. Not even by like by. 
not even because we I wanted to, just because it just ended up <laughs> happening that way. Yeah, but anyway, I'm right now I'm not watching twelve Friday the thirteenth movies. Like there's just too many <laughs> goddamn those. <laughs> But anyway, the movies come out, those prequel movies come out, they're received pretty poorly, as we all thought. But James Robinson, I think, uh, James G. Robinson, who is, I think, an executive at Morgan Creek Productions, always said he wanted the movie The Exorcist to become a television series. Enter 2016, uh, Fox buys the TV rights to do an Exorcist series. And... It is a, I'm going to say it right here now. It is surprisingly good. And I almost wish that this movie was a little bit more like that television series. Basically because I'll explain. um, The series actually takes a lot of cues from the film. uh, Meaning that a lot of it revolves around two priests. One of them is the younger priest who is uh, struggling with his faith, and the other one is the older priest. Um, and it does a really good job of kind of setting them up as new Marin and Karis without having to make them that character. I'll put it to you this way. The younger priest is a Hispanic uh, priest who uh, who is, like, you know, is in this diocese in, in Chicago um, and is considered, like, kind of like this young rock star priest, right? And what you discover throughout the first couple of episodes is that he like and and i'm not spoiling too much of the series uh by saying this but like i guess he decides to become a priest because he felt pressured by his grandmother right um he was i guess he lived a lot of his younger life in mexico and you know how how hispanic culture is and how tied up it is in catholicism Mm -hmm. um and they they're interesting characters the priest characters are actually very interesting and the woman who the you know asks the young priest to you know have to do a exorcism to uh one of her daughters is it's a really interesting story and i think they hit they actually capture a lot of the stuff that makes the film good and they try some things that are that are really interesting um and I'm not going to get too far into it because I think if you're interested in watching it as a listener of the show or even Javi, who has not seen the series, I'll mm-hmm. recommend that you watch it. It's only two series. It's only two seasons. I think um, it's still on Hulu, it, right? Yes, it's on Hulu. I started rewatching it again kind of because I was in the mood to rewatch it and it holds up surprisingly well. So I'll I say mean, that. It's only been like six years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, just the stuff that it does there. Um, when this movie was announced that David Gordon Green was doing it, it was around the time before Halloween Kills came out. Oh, and man. I think, like, I think we, because we, 2018 <laughs> was so good, I thought that this movie might have a chance. But then Halloween Kills came out, and even though I was probably more positive on it than you were, I do think that the, the second and third Halloween movies that he made are nowhere near of the same quality as go, uh, the 2018. Go back and listen to those movies where I think Angel and I kind of retcon and like dream script what we think would be the best possible way that series could have gone. <laughs> and we only hope yeah. that David Gordon Green listened and learned from his past mistakes. Spoiler alert, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that is why we are review we are reviewing the movie we're reviewing today. Um, I'm gonna say this, Javi. What was your theater experience with Exorcist Believer? I okay. So now that we're trying to get back on the, you know, a little peek behind the curtain, you know, like Angel and I are trying to make more consistent schedules so that way we can put out content. Kind of hard when we both have nine to five jobs. Angel has the added, um, you know, that has the added extra job being a father. So it's like we're doing our best with what we can. Sometimes that means we don't get to watch movies together. Sometimes that means I got to go. <laughs> Like ten o'clock at night on a Monday night to go watch Exorcist the Believer by myself. So already, yeah, I watched this movie. I watched it in a matinee um, when I was off of work one day, and I was probably one of like three people in that theater. Oh yeah, exactly. Same same feeling. I go in, pick my movie. It's me and like two couples. It's so awkward at first. <laughs> like I'm I'm sitting like towards the middle trying to get like the best view possible and then in the very back there's two sets of couples, one on one end and one on the other end and I'm like if I start hearing wet noises not coming from the movie, I'm leaving. I'm leaving like <laughs> this bullshit. Uh luckily I did not hear anything disgusting. All I did was uh sit there and cry as I was forced to watch this movie for an hour and a half. Actually, I'm, I'm not even sure what the runtime is. It's what is the- funny enough, the runtime the runtime of this movie is two hours. Mm-hmm. The same amount of time as the original Exorcist movie. Wow, those are two different experiences in the same amount of time. <laughs> That is wild to me. I'll talk about it, like, right now, but, like, I feel like we're kind of at a point with movies where it feels like everything needs to be two and a half hours, and it really doesn't, but at the same time, like, this movie does not feel, like, as long as it probably should have been, but at Mm -hmm. the same time, I I don't want it to be any longer than it was. (laughs) <laughs> it's weird because you go back and watch the original the original Exorcist and it feels longer than two hours but I think that's because a big part of it is just how how good the cinematography is and especially during the terrifying scenes and how they do a good job of really playing on the your anxiety. exorcism itself yeah the exorcism itself is probably only like the last 12 to 15 minutes of the movie which is like crazy it's not that long yeah and it feels mm-hmm. like in this movie though like it feels like they pack in a lot they try to pack in a two and a half hour movie and within two hours like i feel like they try to mm-hmm. do a lot and they introduce a lot of different concepts and then they do the david gordon green thing where they kind of like start punching you in the face with the moral of the story but ultimately, yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't too bad of an experience being able to watch this in the movie theater. What about you? What was what was your matinee experience like? Uh, much like you, I think I was watching this in a theater where I was among the few people to see it. I no went one... into this movie just because all the buzz was negative. Um, the the trailers looked interesting but it didn't really look particularly good i think there was a lot of it where it felt like it was derivative of so many other 
kind of like possession movies that are out. Like we are living in a time right now where everything is like possession horror. And mm-hmm. so much is so blatantly ripping the exorcist off that I think one of the things I was interested in seeing if, if David Gordon Green could do is find a way to make that fresh again. What's and, the last possession movie you watched that wasn't The Exorcist that you enjoyed? You none didn't of think, them are really good. <laughs> you didn't even think The Last Exorcist was interesting? The one where um the one where it was like the southern preacher that used to stage exorcisms because he was like he was like, "Oh, people in my congregation will believe anything" because he's all like uh he's all yeah, messed probably. up from like that one I actually did enjoy, and I felt like I that is it goes the Exorcist and then the Last Exorcist. That's kind of my marks for that genre. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the I was about to say the Heretic <laughs> believer did not reach that watermark. Oh no! I should compare this to well, the Heretic. It's not as bad. But. Well, guess what? Lucky for you. This movie is the first of three Exorcist movies from David Gordon Green. (laughs) We already. So this franchise is owned by Warner. Well, it was owned by Warner Brothers. Um, Morgan Creek Productions ends up like buying the rights to it, and they've released Exorcist three with Fox. They've done the prequels with uh, Warner Brothers, and now the rights to create the sequel trilogy were purchased by Universal Studios for $400 million. Jeez, and part of it is here. that these movies are going <laughs> to... These movies are supposed to come out in theater and then kind of really quickly move over to Peacock um, after they've come out. So they have spent a lot of money on this franchise already just to get it. Mm. So and even though the box office returns, I don't think are that great. And I don't know if this thing is going to make what they were hoping it's going to make. But I think they spent so much money on the rights that I'm pretty sure we're going to get the other two movies in this franchise. I mean, so far the budget is the budget was about 30 mil and early box office is coming in about 52 million. That was based on its first weekend. I think it was its first weekend. I think the difference with the franchise like this is that unlike Halloween, where I think someone like Jamie Lee Curtis, especially for that 2018 movie, was kind of like the star that mm-hmm. drove people to come and want to see this. This franchise doesn't exactly have that. And for as cool as it is that they're bringing Ellen Burstyn back, I mean, most people who are like moviegoers now, the last thing they probably saw her in was like the was the old lady version of Matthew McConaughey's daughter in Interstellar. And she was in that movie for such little time that why would they remember much from it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, who knows? This could turn into the little movie that could. It had a pretty decent opening weekend. And it's grossing pretty good in the U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like to be positive. I don't think David Gordon Green's a terrible filmmaker, like by any means. No. But um, you know, I would like to see him succeed. And damn it, <laughs> even though a lot of people that worked with um, William Friedkin probably aren't super jazzed about this movie, 
<laughs> Probably. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and just, I guess, get into this. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> so this movie, I'm going to say this before we really kind of get into it. So it starts, the movie kicks off in Haiti, right? Mm-hmm. We We are following a photographer, Victor Fielding who is one of the main characters in this movie. Uh, For all intents and purposes, if this movie is going to do what Halloween 2018 did and kind of follow some of the beats of the original, for all intents and purposes, the character of Victor Fielding is Chris McNeil in this. He is, uh, you know, a single parent who is, you know, has a good relationship with his child, um, but there's something in you know, in how he became a single parent that seems to manifest itself in his daughter and causes, you know, his daughter to eventually reach out to the paranormal and they will be touched by a demon in some way pretty soon. I'm going to say that I don't, I, I don't know if, if this movie starting off by kind of invoking the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, which was an ins- like a an, it's such a destructive natural disaster mm-hmm. um, that in some ways you know the country hasn't really recovered from in in certain ways. I, I don't know. Like typically, like I don't mind like doing. Oh well, here's the this current this like actual event that happened, and here's how we bring the horror movie into this. Mm-hmm. I don't think that this actually felt like the right move. It's it's but funny when it's started. our or when it's our national tragedy. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but it does feel weird when it's like an international tragedy that like Americans didn't exactly. I mean, I'm sure there was Americans on Haiti that did suffer and had to struggle, but they also got to leave and come back home. As opposed to the native Haitians, you know, living on the island who, like you said, are still living with the repercussions of, you know, up to 14 years later of dealing with such a catastrophic event. So, yeah, I'm with you. It does feel kind of weird at first that um, we have that backdrop because it's like, I'm not saying it's insensitive, but it does feel insensitive, (laughs) especially with how many... uh things happen in the u.s on a yearly basis just natural like just take a look at the south and how we have these tropical storms that are always impacting people's lives you know like i don't know it feels like we we didn't have to like i don't want to say tokenize some another country suffering but it's like that it felt like that's what was happening i don't know yes that's exactly what it felt like and i think it's it's why I wasn't crazy about the movie starting with this. I know why it's doing it because this movie is one of the things it's going to do is tell you that there needs to be like five different religions that are going to have to exercise the demon from these girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like that's where they introduce kind of the the voodoo practitioners um, in this. They give her they give. Um, you know, this uh, Serene, I think, who is uh, Victor's wife, they mm-hmm. give her a blessing. She talks about how emotional it was when she goes up to Victor and tells him about it. Obviously, um, it's, you know, once the earthquake has happened and and it, you're left to assume that she probably died in, in that accident. Um, 
and then I we can't... fast forward into the into the present. I'll say this: it's kind of it's kind of sad and shocking that a child who was born in 2010 is already at the age that Reagan was when she got possessed in the original Exorcist. We yep. are old, buddy. Well, I mean, I was fine with it until you brought it up. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, going back to the voodoo practitioners on Haiti, I was so worried that this movie was trying to deposit that, uh, that Victor's daughter, Angela, was going to be possessed, like, she was destined to be possessed from the beginning because they didn't understand what, like, who they were working with, and I was like, oh my god, like, with the satanic panic that feels like it comes up every 20 years now. I was like, I swear to God, if they like, if they do something stupid, like to try to make us afraid of like voodoo all over again, I'm, I'm throwing pans. Like <laughs> I was, I was legit worried about that, that they were trying to like, uh, that they were trying to demonize voodoo again. Um, and not in the sense that I'm a practitioner or in the sense that, um, you know, like, like that I'm, like, this big advocate for religious folks. Like, hey, you know, practice what you do, practice what you like, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody or yourself. Um, but the big thing is, like, like, it's just racist colonialism <laughs> that we had to live through from filmmaking in the 80s and 90s that I was just like, oh, we are so away from this. Why are we, like rehashing this so i was really happy like you said that it was just the way they used to introduce voodoo for uh future like future parts of the film so we go um into the present obviously uh victor and his daughter angela uh they're living together you know they they live together um they're having breakfast it's very so she's a child chris and reagan in the original (laughs) It's it's very reminiscent of Chris McNeil and Reagan uh, in the original Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes her to school um, and he goes to his job, which I guess is photography. Which they 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 introduce that in the beginning of the film. He's a photographer, likely has his own studio. Um, you can tell he's very overprotective about Angela and doesn't really like her to be out too late. Um, and Angela is basically pleading with him to let let her stay out. Um, with her friend Catherine, or no, with another friend from school, um, and I guess Catherine is her, you know, best friend, probably, you know, yeah, um, they, who they also know each other. That like her family's a practicing like Baptist family. Um, meanwhile, in the Fielding household, it doesn't seem like Victor really enforces any one religion, especially himself after losing his wife uh back in Haiti um you're kind of left to assume that he's gone either agnostic or atheist and just doesn't really believe in uh divine intervention anymore but yeah we don't know why but we do know that Angela wants to uh hang out with Catherine and they came they come up with an elaborate plot for the end of school where um where Angela's supposed to go to Catherine's to go uh, do homework, and then, like you mentioned, uh, they told a friend that if anyone calls, uh, just to say that Catherine and Angela are over at her place doing homework or something. 
something kids do mm-hmm. all the time. I never did it personally because I was afraid of getting my ass whooped. But I heard of other kids doing it. <laughs> you ever play those games? Like, you ever try that thing where you'd be like, "Hey, uh, if mom, if mom, if my mom asks, just say I'm at so and so's house." Mm, no, not necessarily. But that's because my parents kind of gave me the freedom, more or less, to do things. And um, yeah, I didn't really have to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so the other thing is besides introducing Catherine is when Victor and Angela are, you know, heading onto their driveway about to get in the car for Victor to drop her off at school. That's also where we're introduced to uh, their neighbor, Anne, who is played by, uh, who is actually played by Anne Dowd, uh, who, who you and I will remember from Hereditary. She is fantastic in that movie. She was also she really good in Handmaid's Tale. That's yeah. right. And, um, in this movie, she's a sen- like she she's introduces wearing scrubs, so right away you know that she is works in the medical field somehow. But you also get the impression that she is also very religious based on what she tells them. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's kind of like our introduction. And then there's also a across the street neighbor who is always kind of it looks like reaching out to Victor and. Um, and also, I guess this is trainer. <laughs> we get it as almost as an excuse to see Victor like hitting punching bags and doing boxing practice exactly the way that Damien did it in the original movie. Man, when I saw Victor punching and getting ready to like well, getting ready with the revivalist dude, I was like, "Oh, are we doing some good old fashioned like boxing exorcism? Let's go!" <laughs> good old fashioned demon punching. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> I got your right and left right here. Um, yeah, so once the girls have walked into the woods, they essentially disappear, and this was all over the trailer, so it's like everyone knew what the what the plot to this movie was. Um I do think that the early part of this movie is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I think that the scenes, honestly, the scenes where the girls are missing and Victor's like alone in the studio and weird electrical stuff is happening. That stuff is really creepy to me. Like it really is creepy when it's just him in his house and like all this weird shit is happening to him. He has no idea where his kid is. Mm-hmm. Um, at first it just seems a little normal, but then obviously once they find out that the kids are missing, um, that's when they are like, you know, going to the police station, the two parents, obviously it seems like they've known each other and seen each other, but they don't know each other super well. And obviously when your kids are missing and you're under such kind of stress, they kind of start getting into it. Well, you know, my kid wouldn't be the one that blah, 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 blah. It's probably Mm -hmm. your kid. And from what it sounds like, they didn't even know their kids were friends. It wasn't until this kind of really brought them together. They're like, I wasn't even aware that and that uh, Catherine was friends with Angela. I think it's something like the dad says. Um, yeah, well, I don't think the- they knew, but I but Victor knew because I mean, in the beginning, like she goes up and says hi, Mister Fielding, or something, and he calls her by oh, her name, so he that's knows right, that's her. Right. Damn, those parents are terrible. But yeah. I think those parents are set up to be completely white Baptist villainous characters. <laughs> I don't I wouldn't go as far to say villainous 
if anything, by the end of the movie, they're kind of ultimately, they're arguably the biggest victims of the movie. Uh, The the mother, I'll give the mother all the credit. I think the father ends up becoming almost irredeemable in the end, but we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get Um, into it. Because then we got to... Because now we're going to make an argument about the the, the human condition. <laughs> yeah, this early part of the movie is really good. Like, mm-hmm. it's really good. It's really interesting stuff. Um, once they finally actually find the girls and they end up having to do, like, battery, like a battery of tests on them to see what has happened to them. Like, essentially, they went disappearing into the woods. They did some kind of, as you said, some kind of seance or some kind of, like, uh, ritual to be able to contact Angela's mother. They disappear for three days. They're found in the shed by some farmer kid. Um, and once they've been found in the hospital and they do all the tests on it, the test that they're doing on them is also reminiscent to what happened to Reagan in the original movie, right? Oh, um, absolutely. They're going through, like, checking her fingernails. They're checking um, her, uh, you know, their just to make sure that they haven't been raped in the woods, right? Their feet are obviously damaged from walking barefoot all over the forest, you know, um, mm-hmm. like earth. And, um, and this, again, this kind of stuff is all really good. And I think that the movie was going in an interesting direction in this early part. Yeah. Like, and they're a lot, like you said, they're a lot more explicit than I think the, the original Exorcist, where they were just like a lot of the the medical scenes are very kind of they're there they make you feel very uncomfortable. Like you're kind of going through, um, yeah, because essentially what they do is they essentially do, uh, what is a rape kit? Like that, you know, they have a bunch of professionals essentially pro poking and prodding the girls, um. And then, like, you know, taking pictures of, like, different scarring and different, like, where, you know, wherever they had, like, lacerations or anything. And then they actually had to go through, like, a pap smear and stuff. It's very invasive stuff. And, like, watching it, you feel very uncomfortable and you can't help but feel for these girls who, you know, you know, they're 13, you know, and they're going through this. They're experiencing this. Catherine looks completely checked out um, throughout the entire thing. And meanwhile, Angela is just kind of like holding on to her father's hand. She's just like, looks like she's suffering. Um, yeah, they, the, this whole scene is very, uh, creepy, uncomfortable. And up until now, I'm still, I'm still behind it. I'm not exactly sure what's going on or where I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the roadmap is to get us to the possession part, but, um, I'm still, I'm still behind it. You know, I still think this is a really, uh, this is uh, still a really strong beginning to believer. So after the hospital scene, the girls are taken home, and so begins the kind of the the, the creepiness of the, this. These parts made me feel very uncomfortable. Um, when descent into demon. Yeah, pretty much when Victor when Victor brought in um you know, he brought Angela home and then we Victor. start <laughs> My bad. But yeah, we see Victor he brings her home and it's like that first night we kind of start seeing the demon 
kind of show itself, um, changing Angela's attitude, uh, having her be very argumentative with uh, Victor. Um, and he goes and he puts her to sleep. And then, you know, they do these, uh, you know, they do these things where she, like, gets out of bed. Like, he turns off her light. He goes down the hallway, goes back into the bathroom. As the bathroom door, not the bathroom door, sorry, as the bathroom light goes out and flashes back on, she's immediately back in the bathroom in, like, an inhuman amount of speed. I was just like, oh, I knew that was coming. I was waiting for jump scares. I knew there was going to be jump scares in the scene, and I hate it, and I expected them all. <laughs> but they did a really good job of just having you on edge during this scene and just like, yeah, like you said, introducing the descent into hell. Like at this point, um, you, you know, at this point, the demons are, you know, they're, they're on earth and they're starting to attach themselves to these girls. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, late, I guess since the next day, Victor kind of prepares a special uh, breakfast for Angela. And when he takes her to, um, you know, he takes breakfast to her. She w- he wakes her up and finds out that she actually wet the bed. So he's kind of like panicking, trying to clean her up, trying to clean up the, the uh, trying to clean up the uh, bed, trying to get her to uh, shower and everything. When suddenly she, using her uh, mother's, uh, I, I believe it was her scarf. She ends up like wrapping around Victor's head and like slams his head into the bedpost. <laughs> I was like, oh God. Mm-hmm. Immediately, and I think I told you this, but and I think I've mentioned this before. I'm so afraid of like of blunt force trauma to the head that I'm just like instantly CTE. I don't know why. Like any mm-hmm. any blows to the head in movies, especially in horror movies, always freak me out. And then Angela begins uh, convulsing. And meanwhile, this is happening. Uh, Catherine and her family, uh, they actually take her to uh, the weekend service uh, for Baptist Church. So she is kind of like, like she takes her shoe off and she starts grabbing the Bible with her foot and starts grabbing like this song sheet with her foot. Her dad keeps like taking stuff away from her and like, Catherine, please pay attention. Um, mm-hmm. But at this point she looks completely like demonified. <laughs> and while her parents go up to receive uh, the Eucharist, she disappears. Her siblings have no idea where she is. Um, and turns out that, you know, the father goes, uh, her father goes looking for her and finds a bunch of, like, holy water spilled and a bunch of, like, communion wine, like, spilled on the floor. And as the preacher uh, continues to give his sermon, uh, Angela actually walks down the middle of the church completely covered in communion wine, which looks like red and covered in blood, right? And as she approaches, she starts um, repeating the body and the blood, the body and the blood, as it continues to get more and more distorted distorted and demonic the more she does it, Um, completely freaking out of the congregation. Uh, Eventually, they're able to, like, 
you know, subdue her and take her back to the hospital. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what they end up doing with both of them. Angela and, um, Angela and Catherine end up getting taken back to the hospital to try to find out what's going on with them. Um, the doctors are trying to find, uh, some sort of, uh, doctors are trying to find some sort of, uh, reason why they could be going through this, uh, maybe like an acute response to post-traumatic stress, uh, some sort of, um, you know, mental health illness that is brought on by the sudden shock of what they went through, um, or even having a psychotic break as a result of this high, uh, traumatic experience. So they're trying to find like the science route, um, and trying to find the the science the possible uh science answers um however uh i think it was uh i want to say it was victor he was the first one to propose that it's possible that the girls uh when they did their séance to try to contact uh angela's mom uh brought back some demonic entity from hell with them no, that was Catherine's parents that did that. Catherine's father implies that they did that. And Catherine's mother talks about, I guess, in the Bible, that before Jesus was resurrected, he spent three days in hell banishing the demons. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because I think that's when the mom mentions that it looks like they burned their feet, right? We Shortly after this, we get the scene where Anne is in the the hospital room alone with uh with Angela and Angela gets the full demon voice that calls her by some other name called Anne by some other name and Anne is visibly shaken by this uh mm-hmm. then we're in the hallway with uh Anne and Victor where Victor asks her you know if she's ever seen anything like this and uh that's where Anne basically like reveals to him that like you know to her it looks like demonic possession and that he gives her a book that was written by the, you know, main character in Exorcist One, or one of the main characters, Chris McNeil, and we find out that after um, after the possession of Reagan, Chris ends up writing a book about it, and uh, it's she. It gets in the book. Um, you know, they talk about the help me um, stuff that was written on her stomach. I think it was a very big criticism of people who are exorcist fans of why this is included in Chris's book, because for those who don't know, Chris actually does not see this in the movie or in the novel. It's something that is seen only by Sharon, uh, Chris's assistant and Damien Karras. They're the ones who see the help me on the stomach of Reagan. And obviously there would be no possible pictures of that. I guess you, you could only be left to assume that maybe you had the help me thing had appeared more than once. Uh, it's possible that it manifested itself to Chris at some point in time. Um, but when he reads through this, I guess he assumes that this could be possibly what's happening to his daughter. Um, and she is she needs to be put into a mental institution um, because there's nothing you know clinically wrong with her um, that would need to keep her in the hospital uh, recovering there. So, um, mm-hmm. and this is... I do appreciate that this movie does you know, very similarly to the original Exorcist, where it's not going to go straight into special effects land right away. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is a, it's a 
progressive um like disease it's almost like a cancer right where and you I'll start off this. looking completely healthy and as it gets worse you know the characters start hurting themselves and that is what starts to make them look more monstrous yeah and i'll say this as as a now recent mental health professional <laughs> burgeoning in his career yeah that's exactly kind of like the case or um kind of like how the chain would go is if you are if you're not able to find any immediate answer and these symptoms are just worsening yeah you would need to go to the next step up of possible care and it's like yeah a hospital unfortunately doesn't have the 24-hour care that someone in angelo or Catherine's position has um wild to me that Catherine's parents elect to just take her home um that's a huge undertaking i buddy they look like the kind of parents who would probably not want to get her vaccinated for COVID-19 because they probably feel like Jesus has, is giving her all the protection she needs from that made-up virus. I'll have you know these syringes were made to praise Jesus. Oh, God. Yeah, they... I was like, okay, that's a decision you can make. Like, I'm just saying, if I'm if I'm the social worker on staff at that hospital and I'm seeing all this go down, I'm yeah, I am making a as much of an argument as I can for that family to like. You maybe you should. This might be a little bit outside of your scope of care. What you guys are able to do. <laughs> yeah, but that was freaking wild. I'm like, all right, well, that's on y'all. Go ahead and sleep with the possessed uh, person in your in your house. Um, from there, Victor ends up traveling to go meet Chris McNeil um, and talks to her about her book and asks her about the possession of her daughter, Reagan. Um, Chris, I guess, you know, obviously once this event happened and she wrote her book, she had some kind of a falling out with Reagan and she mentioned that she has spent her life like researching exorcism in every culture and basically becoming an exorcism expert. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I believe Reagan, uh, I guess the falling out comes from the fact that she wrote the book at all, right? was my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like kind of mm-hmm. Reagan just kind of wanted to forget it. Um, and after they became distant, um, yeah, like you said, she, she became this, um, she became this expert and she kind of, and she empathizes a lot with what Victor's going through and she, you know, she actually come, it feels like a big come out of retirement moment where she's like, well, all right, Pazuzu, let's go at it one more time. <laughs> and it, you know, it does feel I like this probably is supposed to now. Uh-huh. I should mention this now before we get too much into it. Uh, it's not explicitly stated in the movie, but it's implied, I guess. And it, it's somewhere it is, it is mentioned or told, but the demon in this, is not Pazuzu. We are not in Pazuzu territory anymore, and the demon in this is not the devil, like mm-hmm. it's been implied in other exorcism movies. Like, like I think the beginning specifically like talks about Lucifer when that's not what it is. But the demon in this movie is called Lamashtu, 
and Lamashtu is a, is apparently a Mesopotamian demon, um, much like uh, much like uh, Pazuzu was, and I guess Lamashtu specifically is. It says that she was a female demon who <laughs> who menaced women during childbirth and if possible kidnapped their children while they were breastfeeding she would Ew. gnaw on their bones and suck their blood and charge with a number of evil seeds when did they say the name the, the demon's name i honestly don't remember if and when it was said i just know <laughs> that a lot of supplemental material has officially called this demon Lamashtu. Mm. And I guess it makes sense. Like in the original movie, they never mentioned Pazuzu as the demon name. The it only gets it only gets mentioned in passing in William Peter Blatty's novel. And then of course mm. like Pazuzu like fifty million times in Exorcist to the Heretic. <laughs> it's funny because I'm like, how do I know the name Pazuzu? <laughs> I know there's the joke from Futurama, but I'm like, wait a minute. If they don't say it in the Exorcist, why do I know that name? <laughs> Mm. Oh man. Well, anyway, um, yeah, like I was mentioning though, that it does seem like a really big um, moment for Chris to kind of come out of retirement. She's ready for one last rodeo, and it feels like uh, this is kind of like um, Father Marin, right? Marin was the was the older priest in the first one, mm-hmm. so it feels very much like oh, Father mm-hmm. Marin is you know coming to the house sort of thing. Um, so Victor ends up taking uh Chris to see um I think it was Angela first and that's when they uh they see her reaction um and they notice that she reacts almost like very hostile towards Chris Chris noting that the demon recognizes her and knows who she is um and like you said the, at this point and uh, the nurse from earlier is trying to convince uh, the local Catholic priest to speak to the diocese and to speak on these girls' behalf to justify the um, the the need for an exorcism, like an actual the actual exorcism ritual. Um, he's very hesitant, mm-hmm. um, doesn't want to do it, and but he also feels that there is a need for it too. Um, so while they're kind of arguing, uh, Victor takes Chris to go see, uh, Catherine and her family. And as I, as they get there, um, you know, no one's answering the doors. Uh, Victor says, I don't think anyone's home. Chris responds, uh, yeah, there is. And as she like points up at Catherine's room, we can see the light is on. I half expected someone to be floating mm. just <laughs> in the exorcist. I know. I was I know. like, that might still be too to on me, the nose. Like, maybe the creepiest. It's still to me, maybe the creepiest thing in the exorcist that like doesn't draw attention to itself, but like mm-hmm. makes zero sense. So then uh, as they enter the house, they kind of find the family and like spread out in different parts of the house. Like the mom is with the other two kids praying in the kitchen. Victor manages to get him out, finds the dad, manages to get him out as well. Um, And then Chris starts having like, I guess what appears to be flashbacks from the first exorcist. 
um, as she goes up the stairs and confronts demonic Catherine. Um, and as she confronts the demon, the demon uh, challenges her, um, you know, using her, and she ends up using Reagan as kind of a bait. Saying that it, um, she'll tell her where her daughter is. Uh, and when Chris refuses, she like telekinetically pulls a, a crucifix over to her and starts <laughs> Chris in the eyes. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, was not expecting that part. <laughs> yeah. It was like a very I actually gruesome... did expect that. I actually oh, did really? expect it because I saw it in they like flash to it in the trailer when they're at the end and i wasn't sure if it was going to be like a dream or something crazy like that but then i i was i was pretty much expecting um and the other thing too is in the trailer uh chris is wearing like only one outfit the entire time which made me think okay this is going to be a cameo we're probably only going to see her for like a handful of scenes and then she's going to disappear and obviously she did disappear um i don't know that her presence in this movie was needed. I don't know that it made sense for her to be someone who was supposed to come in as some kind of a professional. I think the fact that it's her that he goes to and not actually a priest or that we didn't have the kind of archetype character that we did in the original, like Karis, um, it, it just feels like this movie for all the stuff that it's able to successfully call back to, I think that's one thing where it is it doesn't hit the mark like the original movie did. And it, I'm very disappointed that it went in that direction. Well, it's not like this movie really lends itself to a whole cavalcade of like legacy characters you can pull from, right? I mean, yeah, really, your only choices movie. are Linda Blair or... Um, why am I blanking on her? Ellen Burstyn. Like, if he, I mean, who could? Who else could you pull? The the detective, who I think is dead. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it feels like it also feels like this isn't the type of movie that really benefits from having legacy characters or characters come back. No, I almost feel like I wish Chris McNeil wasn't in this at all. Or if they did like a thing where the original like Exorcist TV series does mm -hmm. where um, like when the priest is doing research into something, he mm -hmm. goes online and in a search engine, he ends up finding an article that talks about the two priests that died um, in D.C. at Georgetown. Uh, without really having to get too much further into it. It's just kind of like a nod yeah. to the existing uh, lore that's there. And especially because, again, this, if this is not the same demon that possessed Reagan, then it doesn't really make sense for Chris to have any kind of personal connection to it or for them to be expecting her as much as they are. It mm -hmm. just doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, and I one think point... for all the good... And for all the kind of, like good stuff that they do in setting up the movie in the beginning i think the second part of this movie when we actually get into the exorcism is probably the most disappointing stuff in the entire movie because we're gonna get four different kinds of faith they chris just basically says you have to do all every every different culture uh exorcism at once or something like that when really we're just gonna have like four different versions of some kind of christian exorcism um and 
it's it, they, they what did you call it i think you texted me when you were watching this movie and you called it the avengers of exorcism <laughs> oh absolutely they get a super team of exorcists together <laughs> oh i can't wait to talk about that part <laughs> um yeah i mean actually i think that's what kind of comes up next right let's just jump right into it <laughs> yeah let's talk about it now so Essentially, with the help of Father Maddox, um, Victor, along with Catherine's parents, uh, and Anne, they, um, they essentially decide that they're going to hold this exorcism no matter what. So earlier in the movie, one of, um, one of, uh, what's it called? Um, Anne's friends? Um, I think it was her brother. I'm not exactly sure who, but, uh, the guy that the guy, the, the boxing coach, we find out that he's kind of, he's a root work healer. Um, or no, there he's like one of those, um, or he's one of those like revivalist preachers, you know, like the guys that handle the snakes and stuff, uh, to prove their faith to God. Um, they go and they get a a voodoo practitioner, uh, Doctor Beehive. Uh, so she's the root work healer. Uh, they go and get one of Ka- uh, Catherine's uh, uh, family members, who's a Baptist pastor. Uh, they end up getting a Pentecostal preacher, and pretty much uh, Father Maddox is there to represent Catholicism. And the plan is for essentially everyone who cares about these girls and their souls, uh, to be able to lead this fight against the demon. And that, um, like that, like that's the goal. They end up taking, uh, bringing the girls over to, um, Vince's house. They have a setup where they can uh, monitor their vital signs throughout the rituals. And they essentially fasten doors uh, or I'm sorry, doors, they fasten chairs into the ground so that the girls can't, like, uh, break out of them, or they can't, uh, do anything, um, to remove the chairs from, uh, from the floor. So, uh, they bolt down everything they can, so that nothing can really be used against, uh, against our superhero team over here. Um, we find out that the Catholic Church has actually denied Father Maddox's request for an exorcism. So that you know that leaves us one superhero down. <laughs> oh my god. So um you know Victor is kind of pissed off at him and tells him um you know if you're not here for the fight then you got to leave or something like that. So Father Maddox ends up giving um his bible to Anne and he gives her this pep talk of um of how Jesus' disciples uh the original 12 were able to dispatch uh demons in his name and that much like her now she anyone can do it as long as they have faith and believe in God um 
and that's kind of like the the running theme for the final part of the of the movie is it takes people and because people love each other and because people redeem each other it's going to take people to um exercise these girls and i was just like okay how many Uh. times how many more times are you gonna make this point you know (laughs) um so i'm sorry this is the part this it stunk it stunk this is the part of it that made me think of the kind of shittier parts of the halloween uh kills and halloween ends movies where it was this is the evil dies tonight yeah, this is what this movie's about. We're going to smack you over the head with it over and over and over again. And I think the problem with The Exorcism is that it goes too far into special effects land. Mm-hmm. And um, for all the stuff that they kind of show restraint on, uh, there it feels like they wanted to go a lot further. And the problem with doing that is that then it's hard to differentiate it again from any of these other shitty demonic possession movies that aren't associated with the exorcist and that's the greatest disappointment of it um and apparently lamash who was was supposed to appear at some point in this movie and they even like had like creature special effects ready to show us what this actual horn demon looked like okay i do kind of want to see what lamash looks like i think it would have been too much everything about the exorcist is so reserved and like does a less is more approach only for this movie to be like fuck you we're loud and we're loud and we're in here baby (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's like as the as the exorcism continues we you know it gets um you know everyone becomes physically tired this the demonic presence is powerful and it keeps um and it holds a lot you know a lot of these folks at bay um so eventually uh, they're able to what uh, look like it looks like they removed some vial or some bile from uh, Angela, and uh, the voodoo uh, practitioner tell or Doctor um, Doctor Beehive tells uh, Victor to get rid of it east of the house. Right. So as he leaves the house, uh, he goes. He pours out the bile into like the sewer, and then he sees. Um, Father Maddox in the car praying and he goes up to the door knocks on the window and all he says to him is hey remember the fights in there not in, not out here and he kind of leaves him be mm-hmm. and then uh, when he goes back into the house um, you know the demons continue or the demons continue to um to torture the rest of the essentially yeah torture the rest of the people there and they offer the families of Angela and Catherine a choice it, whoever is willing to um make the decision and choose one of the girls first uh gets um essentially they have to come to an agreement um who's going to break you know who's going to who's going to claim their daughter first Whoever get whoever uh, claims their daughter first, the other one dies. Um, at least that's what's implied by what the demon says. Um, however, uh, Miranda and um, Victor kind of look at each other, and they both have this agreement that it's either we save 
uh, or that there's no choice that they're going to save both girls. And as everyone kind of begins to chant and uh, pray at these demons, <laughs> and the demons continue to laugh and continue to kind of torture these people, suddenly they become weaker and they start kind of reacting in pain as Father Maddox enters the room showing that Catholicism is the one true religion. (laughs) When he walks into the room, it's so hilarious because he's like, move aside, lightweights. Here comes the real hero of the story. I'll give you credit for this. When he comes in and he's getting ready to do the exorcism and he's like, it looks like it's the big old hero triumphant moment. I actually did think that this is how it was going to end. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool. It's like this character didn't really mean much of anything to anyone. He might as well be Father Morning from Exorcist 3. And this exorcism doesn't really make sense why he's here all of a sudden and he wasn't included in anything else earlier in the movie. But here we go. Let's go now. And uh, the next thing you know, like, <laughs> surprise, surprise, after it looks like it, he might have done something, the demon basically turns his head completely around and he dies of a broken neck, which Ooh. I'm going to say that there is something that this harkens to something that is in The Exorcist on Fox. And I think the way they do it is, again, 50 million times better than what they end up doing in this movie. And they also imply, you know, like, what the dangers of the demon making your head turn around is in that series. Mm-hmm. It's more than just, like, the weird throwaway joke from uh, from The Exorcist. So, yeah, as the Roman ritual is kind of comes to an abrupt neck-breaking end, um... Victor apologizes to Angela because it's at this point that demonic Angela reveals that she knows that back in Haiti, uh, when her mother was trapped under the rubble and uh, was had some life-threatening injuries, the doctors told her or told Victor that he can only possibly save one of them. And he can either save his wife or his child, and he originally chose his wife. And it was only through those complications where she ended up dying and uh, Angela ended up uh, surviving um, that we see that um, that Victor raised his daughter. And, um, and yeah, was kind of forced into that situation of becoming a now a widower uh, and a father. Uh, he ends up using the scarf to try to strengthen uh, An- <clears throat> Angela's resolve uh, to be able to try to push the demon out. However, just as this is happening, and there seems to be some sort of um, some sort of reaction to the scarf, this is when Catherine's dad says he chooses her. At this point, Angela uh, appears to die. And the demon reveals that the one chosen was actually going to be the one that was killed. So Catherine ends up screaming as uh, the demon in a very, yeah, like, uh, I kind of like the visual effects of her being dragged to hell. Um, It was creepy. Very, very uh, new metal music video. (laughs) (laughs) So as, um, 
So, yeah, the demon ends up dragging her to hell while Angela starts to, well, you know, she survives, she comes back. Uh, she comes back to life. Uh, just as the police arrive, um, you know, uh, Catherine's parents, um, Rand and Tony, continue to try to resuscitate their girl, uh, unable to do so. Um, Victor just kind of holds his daughter while all this stuff kind of goes on in the background. So it cuts to possibly the next day, if I'm assuming a couple days later. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we see Victor visits his wife's grave, Soren's grave. Um, Miranda and Tony are mourning the loss of their child, and Angela manages to return to school. Uh, however, we also do get to see that Chris, uh, although blind, she does reunite with Reagan. And you're left to assume that um, that Angela will kind of grow up and possibly will be able to put this behind her. As the movie cuts to black uh, and red credits roll as they play the old Exorcist score. Javi, do you yeah. like the Exorcist Believer? I I tried to find things to like in this movie. And even the first like third of the movie is original and it looks interesting. and But it immediately falls into derivative bullshit that we don't need in that we've seen in other films and we've seen done better and I'm just like I feel just I feel the same way I felt the way coming out of uh, Halloween Kills where there was so much potential for where this movie could have gone and at this point I'm I think I'm kind of done with remakes (laughs) I don't know yeah. if I can get excited for remakes or for continuations of old franchises. I'm just like, oh man, it feels like every time I get my hopes up, they get dashed down. <laughs> so no, I mean, in short, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't like this movie. I don't think you're missing anything if you don't go out and watch it. So, um, unless you're a hardcore super fan of the Exorcist uh, franchise, like Angel is. You can sit this one out. Angel, right back at you. Did you like this movie? Um, No, I did not like it. I was highly disappointed by it, and I was ready to be disappointed by it. And I think when I initially saw it and I got out of the theater, I was like, eh, I was like, I don't feel too bad about it because, you know, I think I was expecting it to be bad. You know, the more I've had to sit on it, um, and get ready for this show, the more I just realize that it has failed on almost every level. I think there's just multiple problems here. One of them is, I think, Lego sequels, like we're kind of a decade into these legacy sequels now, and I think it has kind of reached the point where we're not really interested in seeing where some of these franchises will go. Will go. Um, I think the Exorcist TV series was really good, and I think the instinct of putting something like this on television is better than trying to create a brand new movie trilogy out of it. Mm -hmm. I like the stuff that David Gordon Green does, and I think his talents would be better suited doing something else, being somewhere else that's not just working on these horror franchises, because I can tell he has good ideas, but he doesn't really know how to execute them in this you know, big budget studio kind of movie. And I just feel like 
he probably thinks that some of the things that he puts in there is better than it is. Um, mm-hmm. That said, April 2025, The Exorcist Deceiver will come out, and we're going to see where this is going to go. I'm a completist, so it's not even so much that I like loved what happened here. Again, I did not like it, and unless you're like really interested in seeing what good David Gordon Green has decided to do with The Exorcist, I don't recommend you see it. But if you're a completist like me, and you'll be right back in that stupid-ass theater in 2025, I do think... I do think there's things you can do here that are more interesting. I kind of hope they go the TV route and decide to move to new families. Because to me, I just... they should. Like, I know this is supposed to be part of a franchise, but the ending of this felt so final to me that I really don't know what they would be doing with the second movie in this franchise. And honestly, I think it should be revolve around completely different characters, maybe even Endowed's character, because I just don't think that, you know, for as interesting as Victor was, I just don't think he's the same magnitude of character that Chris was. And I also, for as good an actor as Leslie Odom Jr. is, I don't think the material that a lot of these people were given was really any good. So they end up looking like generic characters in a generic uh, exorcism demonic possession movie um and ultimately something that you thought would bring the exorcism franchise back with a roar ends up just putting it further into doubt with like a little whimper and the sound of dogs crying (laughs) like it has such an interesting plot which i didn't realize was going to be a central thing was the fact that victor is a faithless man who does not believe in religion, who does not believe in God. And he's thrown in this position where he has to believe one way or another. He has to believe in something. And Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder how interesting that would be to the ways you can explore that and have him navigate this world where he essentially was an agnostic, but now has to find faith in something to be able to fight this, fight off this entity, right? And I feel like it would have been great if then we see him kind of go through this, um, like go through the, kind of what um what Chris went through, where now he tries to take up this role of becoming like an exorcism expert and tries to do a lot more research and find out. So, and we get to see him in live as he's learning, be able to kind of lend his expertise to other families and finding out why, you know, demonic activity, why it affects certain people, what are the rules behind it? Um, I feel like that was something that could have been done, but because like you said, there's such finality to this movie and because he's just, there's nothing really for him to sink his teeth into. I'm just like, no, nah, just retire the character. Just bring in someone <laughs> Which is unfortunate, because I would have loved to see more of Leslie Odom Jr. moving forward. Ellen Burson is basically left in a hospital for like the last like third of the movie, and she is like, <laughs> no longer can see. Um, mm-hmm. She sits blind in this hospital, and she gets phone calls from 
um, from Victor in his conversations with him. And I will say this, for as bad as this movie was, and for as much as I did not like or want any of this, the scene at the end of the movie where Reagan goes to see Chris and they both hug each other and they're mm-hmm. both clearly emotional because it's the first time that they've seen each other for a long time. It is well, the only thing in this see. entire movie that tugged at my heartstrings. And I want to say, fuck you, David Gordon Green for doing that because <laughs> I really don't think that it was earned here. <laughs> I know it was not. It was not. It was like, well, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful scene. It is a beautiful scene. It's probably the best scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just surrounded by so much more crapola where I'm just like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. All right. So there we go. That's us talking about Actresses Believer. It's a Mm -hmm. movie that we both thought was going to be shit before we watched it. And I think we both feel like it was shit even after we watched it. So um, Mm -hmm. that's the end of this this week's episode. Uh, We'd like to thank you guys for joining us um, for this episode of the show. Please continue to interact with us on social media. Um, please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts if you can. Rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, the more interaction we get on that application, the more the, the more awareness that uh, we can help push for the show. Um, please, uh, you know, do what you can to get the word out on Spotify as well. Um, we hope you guys are enjoying uh, our, you know, jump into these horror movies. I think it's been pretty interesting for us to kind of come in here and 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 return with this slate of movies that we've been uh, working inside of. I'm very excited uh, for us to return again next week because uh, movies, you know, we're getting into movies that we haven't seen. Um, mm-hmm. This is going to be the first one that I did see earlier this year that we're going to talk about next week. So this will be my second time watching it, but it will be your first time watching it. Uh, we're going to do more new horror, and that is a movie that came out at the end of last year early this year, uh, Skinamarink. Um, <gasps> and I can't wait to talk about that movie because much like No One Will Save You, it is one of those really minimal, almost no dialogue movies that I think we'll be able to have an interesting conversation around what we think is happening. And mm-hmm. um, it's nice to remind ourselves that when there's a lack of creativity in horror in certain areas like this movie, there is also a lot of creativity in other areas of horror, like the movie we're going to be talking about next week. Cool, because I'm going to need to wash that taste of believer out of my mouth. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all!